This is Switchboard. Striking action. Hello and welcome to Switchboard, Varsity's podcast on CAMFM, where each week we interview interesting people around Cambridge to tell their stories. I'm Raphael Kulberhoffman, and this week we spoke to academics, students and student journalists about their personal experiences of last term strike action. First up, I spoke to Dr. Jana Basevic, Research Associate in Critical Studies of Higher Education at the Faculty of Education's Culture, Politics and Global Justice Research Cluster. She was also responsible for running the Cambridge University and College Union Twitter page during the strike. Here's her perspective. Was there a particular moment during the strike period that, looking back now, uh, a month or so later, particularly stands out for you? Absolutely. That would have been the night of the 12th of March. So the 12th of March was the day when the first uh, UUK offer came out as an outcome of the process of negotiation. Um, and that offer was distributed, uh, well, first of all, it was given to or communicated with UCU negotiators, I think, relatively late in the day. Um, the picket lines were obviously already over, so we've already dispersed. But what was happening, so this was happening nationally, what was happening in Cambridge <laughs> at the same time was that uh, we've received word that the student occupation of uh, Senate House had begun and that they were asking for, for union members to, um, to come and speak to them. And it was a very intense few hours. And... At that particular moment, we also had to make a decision, I would say, on how we're going to go about the, uh, the offer uh, that had just come out. And so it was a very, very intense, as I said, few hours, in part because uh, I was one of the people who were at that point managing uh, Cambridge UCU's social media. And I didn't quite know how to react in the sense in which no capitulation hashtag had already started trending on uh, Twitter, but I couldn't really get a sense of how members felt. And we were doing all of that from the Eagle Pub, which also has uh, terrible uh, mobile signals. So it was all a bit sort of uh, makeshift, haphazard, but um, I think it worked out well. I mean, we got a sense of what the members wanted. We supported the students in the occupation, but and I think it gave me a real sense of uh, there being a movement, because often a lot is made uh, about or you know out of social movements after uh, after the fact, as it were. Managing the social media must have given you a very unique perspective, I suppose, into not only how other academics felt, but the student body or the public in general? It gave me a relatively good perspective about the degree to which there was broad mobilisation, because all of a sudden everything that academics were was about was the strike. And that was meaningful, and you could see people, and obviously there was also, you know, people would tweet 
photos from um, from the picket lines so you could also see what other branches were doing. So in that sense, I think one thing that it's provided for me as, you know, as a sort of comparative um, angle in relation to some of the other union members who are not uh, that engaged in social media or who are not who had not chosen <laughs> to be engaged in social media for the union in that sense was really getting a very good overview of what's going on across the country. Uh, there is the echo chamber problem, so one of the things that, for instance, um, have been said already about the strike is that one of the reasons why people um, underestimated the extent of the yes votes in the last ballot was because uh, academic Twitter was overwhelmingly in favour of no. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, but I think it gave me a really good um, sense of what is going on how people feel, what positions branches are taking. I think in part because of that, the echo chamber effect, we didn't really encounter a lot of people who were explicitly against, but this also has to do with something that um, I think we managed to achieve quite well, which is to avoid fighting or avoid unnecessary arguments on social media, especially in, you know, during the strike, because that serves no purpose. It takes away the energy. Did you, would you say that social media played a decisive factor? I am reluctant to say that the social media ever play a decisive factor, in part because I think social media cannot generate a political dynamic that's not at least in, well, in essence already there. What I do think social media did, and certainly you know, the so-called traditional media could play this role to some degree, but I think it helped galvanize people precisely in this uh, sense of constructing a network. So giving people a sense that they are not alone. And the picket line does that in one way. It says you're not alone, your comrades are people that you're working with in theory or at least for the same employer are also here. But then social media also give, give people the sense of you're not alone, people across the country are striking. And on top of that, it allows for very swift and efficient conveying of messages of solidarity from other places, so across the world in that sense. Is there anything that, in hindsight, you think the movement should have done differently? Do you think if there were to be another strike in the future, we can ask whether we think that's likely, um, is there anything that you do slightly differently in terms of approach or do you think that the tactics used were very effective and don't need to be changed? I think that the thing that could have been done better and which uh, I hope to be working on towards improving um, in the future regardless of the possibility of a strike or likelihood of another strike in the near future or not is communication within the union. Not so much within the branch, uh, but within union structures on the whole. Other people have uh, emphasized this in many ways. Uh, there is now a lot of discussion about expanding union democracy and so on and so forth. But I think regardless of whether that should send a signal to leadership or not, I think the important thing to realize is that if you literally get uh, an almost, I think, possibly 100% increase in membership over such a short period of time, catching up with the grassroots, as it were, has to happen very quickly. Do you think there's any key difference between how Cambridge dealt with the strike and any colleagues you may have in, in the union at other, at other universities or institutions? I think 
Cambridge students are very, very political, and I think that have, that helps. Which is not saying other students or other student unions are not, but I think that perhaps for a whole host of reasons, uh, Cambridge students are. I mean, there are plenty of groups that have specific sort of purviews or that are activist groups that. Uh, work towards specific goals or with specific agendas and all of them have been very active for a very long time so the, the decolonizing uh, zero carbon and so on and so forth in addition to the so-called standard uh, forms of organizations such as student unions or graduate student unions so I think there's a bit of that um, I think on the other hand you know, Cambridge tends to be, for many reasons, more visible than many other universities. The media love us, um, love us meaning they often love to hate us as well. So, uh, there's that. Okay. Just briefly, just summarise how you feel now. I think if I had to, I would definitely summarise it in the popular hashtag, we are the university, in the sense that I think it made me feel, possibly for the first time, viscerally something that I have been writing about for a very long time, which is that university rests on people. So if people are dissatisfied for any reason, that is not a problem for the university that means that the university basically no longer functions. That was Dr. Jana Basevik speaking to me earlier this week. Now, not all students were equally impacted by the strike, and some faced more difficulties than others. Second-year law student at Newnham, Madeleine Wakeman, wrote an opinion piece at Varsity in February entitled, As a Disabled Student, the Consequences of This Strike Are Magnified. To find out more about how the strikes impacted disabled students, Blanca Schofield, Legaburo and I spoke to Madeline. Now that the strike has come to an end, what are your what are your reflections in the time since you wrote the article um, about how the strikes impacted you and um, disabled students in general? I have dyspraxia, which I think a lot of people confuse it for just being like a motor thing, so just about moving around but it's actually got quite a lot of impact on how people work. So it particularly affects reading comprehension, so it can take three times more to read a passage um, than other people, and it can often involve having to reread information to grasp the point fully. So lectures, which were largely cancelled for the, my course, um, under the strike, they were... Um, a very important thing for me because they would provide a very summarised way of presenting the notes. Um, whereas with the textbook you get given maybe 200-300 pages for each su supervision, that can add up to a lot of reading and because I can't read that fast it takes me too long to understand the point, I can't get it all done. So if I don't have those lecture notes to pinpoint where I'm meant to be, it can be very difficult to understand topic as a whole. And so do you feel that during the strikes um, the increased difficulties that you were facing were not only not recognised by the university but by your fellow students as well? How, how did they react? Did they acknowledge the fact that maybe you were um, facing more severe consequences than they were? Yeah, so I mean there was, I didn't see anything on how it was impacting 
students with different needs. All I saw was these general things, general calls mm-hmm. for we are students, we are supporting. And in a sense, it, it almost seemed like people were being bullied into not going to their lectures. Mm-hmm. So they would have lectures, um, and for personal needs, they would want to go, and they'd find them really helpful, and there wouldn't really be a replacement. I didn't expect, obviously, Kusu got very involved, and particularly in my college, um, Newnham, it became very spoken about. Um, and all of a sudden, it was like one day there was no one on the gate, second day, oh, you know, there's going to be people there, but like I thought everyone would probably just go because I thought it was a necessity to keep going. Mm-hmm. I didn't realise there'd be such a reaction from everyone that was, wait, you can't, you can't cross that line. But now, what provisions have they put into place for you? So they've given you some catch-up lecture. But again, I wouldn't say there's anything that's been done specifically for people with different needs. I'd say it's they've made efforts, they've heard the call of everyone that they're not happy with how the strike might have impacted them. And they've sort of put out broad measures, but I don't think they've done anything in particular to help different groups. And like moving beyond the strikes a little bit, do you feel that in general the university can do more to cater for the needs of disabled students or do you think that the lack of support that you felt was the result of the exceptional circumstances of the strikes? I think it's difficult. Um, Obviously the university has a lot of students with a lot of different needs um, and in general they are quite good at supporting my needs with exam arrangements um, and the ability to record lectures and things. The main issue actually was getting any support from the university when I was actually diagnosed with dyspraxia because that wasn't until I actually started at university. Um, My school sort of hadn't really got into it. Um, It was actually very difficult. Everyone seemed to be telling me to speak to different people and um, it was very difficult to get any sort of funding for the um, test which is actually quite extortionate. And you just mentioned in your most recent column you talk about the costs of mental health in the university. Um, How did you feel that was dealt with during the strikes? Again, that just made the problem quite a lot worse for me. I'm aware it's um, a particular, like it's a very particular case to have all these different things, but there was Kusi saying, don't go to lectures, and there was my dyspraxia saying, you need to go to lectures, but then I had my anxiety saying, but these people, they're all looking at you, they're all going to shout at you if you're crying across the line. But then you've got the anxiety on the other hand saying, oh, but if you don't go, you're going to fail all of your exams because you're not going to get the notes and then you won't have time to get through the textbook. And then it was just this chain and there was no real way to win. And then you've got depression on the other side of it saying, well, actually, I don't even really want to leave my room today. So it was incredibly difficult to balance the three. Um, But yeah, I think particularly with all of the pressure on students supporting the strike, I think definitely more could have been done to understand that the pressure itself might have made a lot of people uncomfortable and wouldn't make... Actually, a lot of people I spoke to were sort of scared into supporting the strike. They were saying, oh, like, I haven't really thought about it myself, but I would only ever say things of support because I don't want to be turned against, I don't want people to think that I'm this or I'm that. I personally, although I did have all this anxiety, and I even one time went through Selwyn to get into a back entrance so that I didn't even have to walk past them... But when I did walk past them, I didn't actually personally have any negative experiences. They sort of gave me a leaflet, and I was like, I'm really sorry, I have to go in. And they were like, oh, okay. But I did speak to a few people who were called a few things. Um, And again, it is important that someone takes responsibility, but 
I think the only way you can change what's happening and what these people are saying is with the people themselves. Do you have any friends in other universities who are more, who are, well, perhaps not more, but affected in a different way by the strikes who have dyspraxia or dyslexia and who were, you spoke about your experience with? What I actually found from speaking to people from different universities is they had been far less, in, far less strongly impacted um, by the strikes, and a lot of them didn't even know that strike action was going on. Um, I think one thing about, particularly being at Newnham, which is right opposite Sidgwick site, you'd wake up, you'd see the strikers, like as you're walking back from town, you'd see the strikers. It was very present, but in different universities, I think they have a bit more, in some universities, have a bit more separation between work and accommodation that means that they're less exposed to it. That was Madeleine Wakeman speaking to myself and Blanca Schofield-Legaburo. Student journalists were in many ways at the heart of the Cambridge strikes, interviewing a wide range of students, academics and activists. Rosie Bradbury was a senior news correspondent at Varsity last term and is a senior news editor this term. I asked her about her own reflections on covering the strikes for Varsity. We kind of got the sense that it was this building um, thing that was, it was like a long time coming. Um, this growing sense of frustration with the state of their um, pensions, but more broadly just how the higher education sector has evolved for um, academics. And yeah, so we just kind of, I did a couple of interviews then and kind of setting the stage for what the dispute was, um, how students would be affected, um, what the specific uh, question over the change to pensions was, and then once the strike started, kind of escalated our coverage a lot. Um, so we went to a lot of the rallies that CDE and KUSU held um, in support of the lecturers, we, on the first day of strikes, we went to the picket lines and Vox popped a bunch of people, um, asking them why they were striking, um, why they felt it was an important cause, and um, you could tell that there was a sense of like camaraderie and determination with the striking staff. I interviewed some science students, and they, uh, there was this real internal conflict among a lot of them because it's not the kind of thing whereas with humanities students you can just miss a couple lectures it doesn't really matter because you can just catch up on reading and lectures are kind of a hit or miss situation anyway whereas for science students you really can't and you have to cross picket lines and so that was I think a really ethically tumultuous thing for a lot of people. It's a very tricky situation because um, it's it's not the typical industrial action where it's just employers versus employees because of the role that academics have in actual educating students. By punishing the employer, the university, by rescinding their labor, they're punishing students as well. Yeah, I think I think the university and KUSU could have been a bit more prepared about what was going on um, and how incredibly um, 
stressful it was for a lot of students. Um, it seemed like there wasn't a ton of warning for a lot of students. Um, there wasn't a ton of information before, like maybe a week before the strikes actually happened. So I think that could have been handled better. Like what were some of the challenges that you faced in terms of reporting on industrial action, particularly with how, re first of all, relevant it is to students, to every student, to every academic, and also to how polarized the issue was amongst different groups? Well, I remember one of the most difficult um, stories that we covered was in terms of um, we wanted to do a story about how um, interviewing academics who were still teaching and who weren't going on strike and to kind of get that other side of the story because we covered so much about why people were striking. We wanted to see the other reasons for why people decided not to. Um, and that was a really, really difficult story to actually get people to go on the record for. Um, I think a couple of reporters ended up having to go to Sidgwick one morning, the morning of print, um, and try and like harangue lectures as they came out of Sidgwick's site because that was kind of the only way. People just weren't responding to emails because it was such a polarized issue. Um, and there was this stigma attached to um, going on with university teaching. And I mean, that's inevitable with industrial action. There's going to be a divide between the people who are rescinding the labor and the people who aren't because it's seen as counterproductive. What kind of impact do you think that Varsity had on the strikes in Cambridge? I think it, it, one of the most useful things that we did was we provided like breakdowns of how the strikes would affect students like a couple weeks beforehand and then the day before. Um, and I think that was really essential because of how um, there wasn't really anyone else doing that. Um, so it was, I think that was pretty useful. I think it's, it's definitely really important that Varsity is a student paper um, because we have just a better understanding of how students' lives work um, and we have better like access and we can talk to people and get a broader sense of, I think of what the situation is um, and especially for some of the more student specific things like the old schools occupation Cambridge News didn't cover it for two days um, which was kind of funny because it was such a impactful thing. I mean, it, it made all of the university administration move out to West Cambridge um, because they couldn't operate because a bunch of activists were um, like sleeping there overnight. Um, so I think Varsity is a very important, it plays a very important role within the Cambridge community that I don't think Cambridge News really has. That was Rosie Bradbury, Senior News Editor at Varsity. Thank you to all our interviewees this week for providing their perspectives on striking action. Switchboard is available online as a podcast on camfm.co.uk, SoundCloud and iTunes, where you can download all our episodes from last term. This has been Switchboard with Varsity and CamFM. If you have any interesting stories from around Cambridge, please email us at switchboard at varsity.co.uk. Remember to tune in next week for more from around Cambridge. I'm Rafa Gulbhoffman. Thank you for listening.